Hello and welcome to Charity Chats. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, I interviewed James Atkins about culture change in charities and uh, talked about his views and opinions on why culture change is such a vital component for organisations wishing to deliver for their beneficiaries in an ever-changing world. We talk about what culture change is, we go through some examples of bad practice and, and negative culture change examples and then we talk about what charities should consider in order to make real and positive cultural change and what this can mean for the work that they do. James stresses throughout this episode that this is from his experience and it's his learnings and, and opinions but uh, and that there are other views but I'm sure that you'll enjoy this episode as I did when I met with James so do sit back and take it in. There's lots to learn here. Here we go. I feel privileged to be once again <laughs> yeah. in the great company of my good friend James Atkins, consultant and indeed an expert on culture change. And that's what we're talking about today, isn't it? Indeed. I'm an expert in many things, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, no, definitely we're talking about culture change today. And really from the get-go, it's kind of getting that explanation that this is my opinion and these are some of the ideas that I've brought forward. But if you looked up on a Google search engine about culture change, you've got about 700,000 in there are so many million, you know, thousands upon thousands of theorists, people talking about it. A lot of organisations is the buzzword culture change. So um, these are just from my own experiences and some sort of um, uh, areas that I think might be useful for people. So what, what do we mean by culture change, first of all? Well, I mean, going from my perspective, it's kind of looking at the changing and working practices. So how do the perception of the employees, the volunteers and how they work going forward? Now, a lot of times when we talk about culture change, we're looking at that piece around innovation and thinking differently. Innovation I hear so often, I don't know about yourself, but it's always been brought up in charities, usually around fundraising. Usually it's around that major donor philanthropy or getting more grant money in, basically. But it's a changing of working practices fundamentally. Um, Now, in relation to that, why that might be happening in an organisation, usually it happens when there's a new HR team. Okay. So if they, they are very much, it's part of their CIPD to look at change management. Um, also as well when it's a new director or a new uh, chief exec that comes into the charity. Sure, so sure. that's going to be a big part of that where actually they want to kind of put their own stamp on the organisation about what they want to achieve. Um, and also as well when people are looking to write new strategies. Um, charities love to write strategies and usually yeah. embedded in there is all these wonderful things about cultural change. Um, the, the, going to that first point around strategy, what I find interesting is actually that most of that work is usually done in isolation, I find. Okay. Um, so again, this is probably advice that, you know, usually what happens is they either bring in somebody, senior management, have big talks about this. So they will bring in a consultant and pay them an exorbitant amount of money or they'll also get senior management will have these very closed off meetings where they're not discussing their ideas with their heads of department, managers, officers, or even the volunteers themselves. And actually that could be such a big piece around understanding what the culture is now. Because really you want to kind of set the scene of where your organisation is now and where you want to get to. And senior managers or chief execs will have a very different interpretation than maybe people in the wider organisation about what's going on. Um, also as well that there's no um, communication about you know, and that culture change or the strategy. Usually it's created into a document, it's usually given to people at induction, well, we talked about induction before, yeah. um, and actually they will be provided that this is the way we're going to be working, 
but no kind of guidance support to managers on how to implement that, no comms messaging, because really you have to have a consistent messaging from all departments and teams about what you want to achieve. You know, if it's putting you know your service users at the heart of everything you do, or if it's fundraising, or if it's actually just you know simply being nicer and communicating better with each other, you have to say what those things are and take it step by step and actually go through that. Also, that actually that's being updated. So whether in like the internal comms on that maybe every quarterly basis, that people are starting to talk about, okay, well, how are we doing with the strategy? What's going on with that? Usually it gets launched in a big fanfare and then just gets forgotten about in a couple of months' time. And people kind of put it to one side. So that culture change piece is not connected to my work. So a lot of directors I've spoken to, where it's like, no, no, I need to focus on this operational task. They're not looking at that culture change piece. Because presumably the, the culture change is the kind of the underpinning piece of work. Is it? It's about how people are behaving towards one another yeah. and, and what the, what the organisation mm. uh, stands for and values yes. and things like that. And that's totally. And this is the problem as well. Actually, it underpins everything and also affects the results of your organisation. Right. Because again, um, a big thing I've seen in the last couple of years is around this silo culture. You know? So a lot of departments and teams will either be either reluctant or unwilling to kind of talk to each other about the work they're doing actually on the values they have. What are the commitments they're trying to deliver on? Because again, when you have that silo culture, then you have that individualism, then you don't have that cultural piece that people can engage into. Um, Also as well about the language that gets used. So again, if we're using, and again, I'm a consultant, I shouldn't say this, but if you're using, you know, highly paid consultants or just your senior management team to talk about that culture change piece, the language might be alienating. You might not actually be able to hook in, you know, all members of staff that actually your junior level, so your officers, your administrators are thinking, actually this is nothing to do with me, you know, this is a senior management thing, I don't have anything to do with that, that's not part of my job. And I think, again, it's about how do you like, uh, how do you ensure that everyone's get connected into that work around culture change? So I think it is just so important. So with, with consultants, is it that, I guess it's a standard point anyway, isn't it? Mm. That they should be listening before speaking. Yes. Yeah. yeah so I mean, if they're coming into a, a new culture, learning mm. about it first before saying what exactly. the change should be. Yes. And I think, and again, just not totally like listening to the senior management team about what their needs and concerns sure. are. Because again, that can come over, especially in the culture of change piece around being quite prescriptive. Mm-hmm. So basically they will be saying things like, oh, actually we want people to arrive on time. We want them to answer the phone within two rings. That isn't really a cultural change piece. That's just sure. being, maybe I verge on being slightly pedantic, actually. About it's very operational as well, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And it is a lot of times I see with this culture change strategies is people are, they focus much more on the operational stuff because that's it's a bit easier. Mm. It's a bit easier for people to see. And it's also tangible as well. So a lot of times around these cultural change pieces, people want it to change of organisation within about a year. Right. Now, I would say it probably, if you're really pushing something like this, it'd be 18 months to two years. And that's even for a small organisation. Sure, sure. Because actually, you know, there'll be people working potentially in charities that have been there 5, 10, 20 years. You're asking them to change some very entrenched and ingrained behaviours. Yeah. And actually, if you're not looking at that bigger piece and actually constantly you know, fighting against it, then it's also not just to do with HR. I think HR do a wonderful job, but you can't just put all the expectation that they will launch a cultural change piece. It has to be the wider organisation.
Also as well, looking at your values and behaviours. So again, if you look at these cultural changes, do they need to be updated? So a lot of times people, again, forget about this, but I've worked in organisations where their values and behaviours were woefully out of date. So they were talking about projects and services that they'd lost funding for about oh, five really? years ago. Um, so again, if you're giving that out to people in induction, this is about what our culture is supposed to be about. You know, you need to make sure it's up to date, that it's still valid. With, with the values mm. piece, I mean, I mean, I've seen a lot of uh, organisations who have the kind of, you know, they have the buzzwords, so they talk yes. about innovation being one of oh, them, yes, yeah. uh, innovative and, and uh, you know, wanting their, all their stuff to kind of uh, be imbued with innovation and professionalism and, you know, all sorts of things, uh, communication skills, all these yeah, things. Yeah. What, did that, what does that mean? And, and is that sometimes, is that just a list of words? Well, I think you've, you've answered your own question because, yeah, I would tend to agree with that. It, it doesn't have to be, but even around innovation, I worked at an organisation once where they were actually asking for any member of staff to send them through an innovative idea, a creative idea they'd never heard of before. Yeah. And basically, as part of that, um, they had to get sign-off from their manager, their head of department, their director and then the HR director. Really? And then that was only, and then once they'd gone through all that process, then this innovative idea could be sent through. But actually, if you have so many gatekeepers there to these new ideas, then actually half of it will never get through. And this is kind of where I see around innovation because people like the idea of it, but then innovation is about looking at, and again, that cultural change place, you're changing your working practices. Now, a lot of times in organizations, people say that to me on my first day, and when I try and do new things, they automatically balk, they automatically get worried. Right. And that might be a little bit of me, but also as well around the fact people don't like any changes in routine, mm. traditionally. And I think the charity sector, even more so, can be quite rightly entrenched into that situation as sure, well, you sure. know? I mean, uh, I guess there's, there's, a, there's a lot of fear, it seems, in the sector around um, worries that we've had, you know, highlighted in the press and media over the last mm, few years. So, mm -hmm. And obviously things like the GDPR regulations that yes. came and data protection is a big thing. Yeah. Safeguarding, there's a lot of stuff that I, I kind of imagine that charities are being very um, kind of worried. And yes. so does that, does that slow down or stop innovation? And is there a risk of that happening? Uh, well, it's, it's again, it's looking... And no, it doesn't necessarily have to. I think, again, if you feed it in, it's the same piece around that learning. If you feed it into actually the work that you're doing, it shouldn't be that much work at all. Yeah. And actually, and that's the problem as well, a lot of times when people use cultural change or innovation, is that they will, say for example, GPDR, I've seen lots of organisations, they will just stop any cultural change piece and do focus on the GPDR. Now, of course that was legislation, we had to look at that, but, Actually, if you just look at it all together as one piece, then it doesn't actually impact on the business and what you're doing. Because actually, if you are being better communicating, if you're working better in teams, and actually you're producing better results, well, that can only be for the benefit, I suppose. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so th things like that can actually drive more innovation and yes, creativity. Yeah, but yeah. It's, again, it's about being comfortable in that environment, and also being comfortable maybe in a, an environment that isn't totally comfortable for people, you know. Yeah. Cultural change isn't necessarily an easy piece sometimes. It, you know, it can be done, but... That's a very interesting point because I, I've, I've heard recently, and I guess this is part of the kind of the personal development stuff. Which mm. you, I know you've got expertise in this too. Yes. But this idea of wanting people on an individual basis not to be in their kind of comfort zone, but to be in their stretch zone. Yes. So that's a uh, that's kind of the ideal thing. Is that the case for organisations? And is that is that kind of part of this? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, it's about an organisation if they want to kind of willing to challenge themselves, willing to grow, willing to push themselves. I think a lot of times in charities, people can become quite 
stay on. Yeah. That's the right word. And it's no disrespect to anyone, but again, if you're producing the same thing year in, year out, with no developments on that, then what's going on there? And I think it takes someone, again, it takes a bit of a strong character to actually say, well, what's going on here? It's not necessarily to say that anything that's been done is bad, but actually maybe how could we improve going forward? And it doesn't have to be this concept of actually, oh, it's going to be a lot of extra work. A lot of times, it's just about thinking about things a bit differently, really. Um, a classic example of that, for me anyway, is about communication. And I think it's, I've talked about this probably about three times when I've been on Charity Chat, but very much so, actually, if you're doing a piece of work, how are you communicating that to the wider business? Yeah. And, you know, actually, that can make, produce big dividends because then you reduce duplication of work, people getting conflicts of interest, all those kind of things. But it's always I see people forget about that and they focus on just sitting at their desk, tapping away and writing brilliant reports, but actually not engaging with the wider organisation what's going on. And I just think it's so important, really. And I, I suppose that, that kind of silo culture mm. and, and that working alone, I think my, I, I really strongly believe, actually, in yeah. you, you get much more working in a group, working in yes. a team, that kind of group think. Yes. You know, um, I think there have been neuroscience studies that have shown mm. it's, it's better than an expert's yeah. thinking. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense to me. And I wonder, is it, do you feel that the cultural change mm. That in a way, not to not to um, kind of be constantly open to cultural change is is uh, kind of going to the detriment of, of the charity because yes. things are constantly evolving, aren't yes. they? Everything, technology is evolving, um, culture is evolving yeah. outside of an organisation. So not to keep up with that is, is actually uh, and that thing. is and I think it's certainly when we're looking at like we look at the public sector or even the private sector actually they are moving forward at a much faster rate than we are. Partly that's to do with funding, but partly it's to do with a mindset as well. I and mean, that cult culture change. Yeah, thing. you know, I mean, yeah, even if you look at from the corporate point of view around that CSR motivation, they really are understanding that employees want to get some sort of other fulfillment out of their work than just purely money. Right. And I think, again, a lot of times charities, sometimes they'll have the cause, but they're not looking at actually how they're engaging with their staff. And I think you're quite right there around the technology angle because in the space of about 40 years, a lot of the roles in charities will be performed by technology, or could be, shall yeah. we say. Um, so if you're looking at, so for example, finance you know, systems, HR, marketing, you know, I'm not necessarily saying the robots are going to take over, but actually that's going to be a big part of our work. Mechanisation, big, mm, big thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of charities in the past where actually they still like to do things printing stuff off. They don't right. want to use, even PowerPoint seems to be a, like, a bone of contention, and yeah, I, yeah. I, which I find very interesting because obviously other, you know, other sectors are moving far faster on us than this. A lot of times, even for instance around technology, they still have in the job description around, um, do you have good IT skills? Now, if you're under the age of 35, I would say that's just a given, do you know what sure. I mean? And actually, we need to be looking at actually how can that technology work better for us? Because even, say, for example, like around Skype, now, you know, Scott for Business, like, you know, it's been around for years, but actually when it was launched, and this idea, oh, wouldn't it be marvellous, because actually we don't necessarily have to all be in a room together. We could actually just link in online. But um, what I found in practice is that that technology needs to make sure you need to invest in that. You know, that's a big part of that. And also I invest in people's understanding, because again, I think we talked about this before around the L&D angle, people are not necessarily seeing what technology can do for them. There's a lot of panicking. There's a lot of, oh, you know, I was in a meeting a couple of months ago and it was one person dialing in 
and every two seconds we were stopping because every member of staff was checking that she could hear us okay. Now, right, okay. <laughs> that wasn't the most productive way to construct Were they on a, Skype? Were they, you could, no, could you see they, them? They, were, they were literally on uh, the phone. Okay. And so like every time- They weren't contributing that much to the meeting. No, <laughs> it, it was just every time like I said something, a member of staff said, oh, can you hear us okay? And then they tried to do group work with that person and I was like, this isn't going to work. So I think, again, it's looking at, you know, structuring these things out, making sure that the technology works for you, and, and also just being aware of it, and also looking at, you know, not necessarily you have to always go to the head of IT, the director of IT. Like I said, if people are, you know, under the age of 35, a lot of them will have their own understanding. Well, even under the age of 50, right? I mean, Thank you very yeah. much. Sorry, yes, that's very true. I'm not being ageist. <laughs> Anyone could be technical. So whatever, service. under the age of, who knows? <laughs> I suppose some people are kind of more used to it. I know my... Yeah. Um, yeah, from my experience, my mother, mm. she's got brilliant, you know, she's brilliant with her mobile yes, because she needs to be, yes. you know, because she's constantly calling and WhatsApping yeah. and stuff like that. So, my mum used to do a lot of capitals uh, messaging, which made me thought she was angry for a lot of the time. But <laughs> never mind. Um, but it is around, yeah, just talking to your members of staff, they probably could help you with looking at these things. Yeah. And it's not necessarily about spending a lot of money on these things either, but making sure that they work for you. And I think. You know, the old traditional ways of maybe doing things, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we are going to have to adapt. If the culture is we embrace innovation, yep. it can be, you know, looking out for how can we do our work better. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, where I am now and, uh, and, and Charity Chat indeed, yeah. uh, we use Google Docs. Brilliant, a heck yeah. Of a lot because yes. we're sharing remotely, yes. and our culture is, and we want to encourage this culture because we don't have the time to often meet up. And, no, um, it's using online. So yes. you know, you and I, for example, getting in touch before mm -hmm. this interview, Perfect. it was all online. We didn't yes. have to meet in no. face to face, did we? No. And and similarly with the committee that we have on mm. Charity Chat, we do all of our a lot of our work mm. on Google Docs. So again, it's, I suppose it drives our culture, yeah. but also our culture needs to adapt in order to yeah. embrace that technology. I mean, there was another example. I actually worked somewhere recently where I wasn't allowed to speak to people on the phone. Um, I had to see them in person. They would okay. not to speak. They wouldn't dial in a phone meeting, so I had to have to wait six to eight weeks to see anybody. Now, again, I would argue. What was the reasoning for that? Was there? A um, they things? were just again. It was a cultural piece there. So it was, they, they yeah. very much thought that actually, like, it wasn't really it, that wasn't the dumb thing. Okay. Um, usually a lot of times like, well, you couldn't necessarily get the phone number for them mm -hmm. but they wanted to see you face to face now but that again impedes the development of what you're working on because actually of course people speak on the phone and Google Docs is a great example because that is mostly free I think yeah, right? yeah, like you don't yeah. have to pay that much yeah. and actually I've used it for Excel where PowerPoint it works absolutely fine brilliant. and it's a brilliant way to kind of make sure actually checking on people's work so presentations, documents like that where actually you can just put it in Google Docs, everyone adds their comments and that's it, rather than having 20 or 30 copies of something flying around. Different versions of these acts yeah. of nightmares. Yeah, yeah. I, I went up to one place once, it was version 12.0 and I was just like, I can't really? do this, yeah, <laughs> interesting. Um, but then also as well, again, looking at that model around technology, but also around culture change, if you are getting worried about it, look at maybe looking at that pilot studies approach. So look at maybe one of your teams or departments actually is doing really well, or you think would be one of your early adopters, should we say, of new practices, and trial it out with them. And then you can really look at actually what are the ways it does work or the way it doesn't. Yeah. You know, as an example, actually, I worked somewhere once recently where they had a whole HR new system. Um, they didn't tell anyone it was going to be launched. They just sent an email to everyone about the day before. Now, 
that have caused a bit of conflict actually now because people didn't get a chance to feed into yeah, it yeah and they had no idea what was happening and right. actually it was just very convoluted so if you're looking at that piece actually you know maybe starting with like i don't know fundraising team or stopping your operations and building things up like that yeah and actually getting the feedback first seeing what works and what doesn't and then moving forward yeah, and I guess I guess the kind of as much as you possibly can, getting everybody's buy-in mm. before you say, "Ta-da, here it <laughs> yeah, is." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I think that again, the legwork and the planning before these things is so important yeah. because again, you want to make sure that actually is you know being built in. Is um, it that you need a working group or anything like this, or does it depend on the organisation? But again, sometimes those working groups can can become a bureaucracy in themselves, right. so they go round and round in circles, and. You can have a working group, again, if you're empowering them to kind of make the choices around that. Because a lot of times I've seen working groups where they're like, oh no, we have to send it up to this director. We have to send it up to the chief exec. Right. And then it just stalls. It slows it right mm. down, doesn't it? And it's not so much slows it down, it just impedes any development having. Right, I mean, okay. I've been on steering groups where one organisation I've been like, I started, it been going for a year, they still hadn't done any work yet. So it's again... You know, it's how a talking shop. Yeah, and it's and I guess they, they do say that a camel is a horse designed by a committee, right? So <laughs> you've got to be you've got to be like careful that. not to get too many people involved. I suppose. Yes, and again, I'm again another example. I saw a chat once. They were launching a new website, and I think they there was an organisation of about 110. I think they invited about 90 of them to talk about this website. Oh, right. Very long meetings that actually were much more about like the kind of coding of the website and the design. Sure. So a lot of people didn't have a clue what they were talking about. So it was really, for a cost-effective point of view, a waste of time because right, okay. everyone's going to have a slightly different opinion about what they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they never really kind of got what they wanted and they just, the team actually just ignored a lot of the comments and just did whatever they wanted to do anyway. So, so what, what would have been the better way of doing that? Would it have been to go out to that group and say, send us in your things by this time and go through that, pull out the themes, go back to them? Yes. Something think, like that? Yeah, I think so. Like finding some current themes, also targeting certain groups that maybe are using the website for certain areas. So, you know, fundraising, volunteering, that's, you know, sometimes a crossover because, it's, sure. again, you're asking for something from people. So they have different things that they want. And again, structuring it out with actually what's the information you want to get back in. Yeah. Because, you know, you can ask 100 people their opinions, they all give 100 different viewpoints. Well, what are you going to do after that? When I was looking at one piece of evidence that actually maybe you could, people could go for, um, this would actually be a book that I read. I borrowed it from uh, a senior director, a friend of mine, um, and it was The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, it's been going around since 2002. Some people might have heard of this before. Um, it's by Patrick Lenconi, um, and actually it goes through what are the five dysfunctions, but actually if you flip it around, what are the five areas that maybe you could focus on and around creating great teams and great culture change so um, I think the first one is around and this is the heart this is a hard one building trust okay so again that's something you have to do with people from the get-go and again it goes through that idea of, you know trusting them to actually do things in a slightly different way to look at things to actually give them accountability for what they're working on um, and so well, that's that's throughout the team. So that's yeah. that's the kind of the, the chief exec trusting the yeah. manager yeah. who trusts the team mm -hmm. to get on with their jobs. Yes. Not be too micromanagerial. No. That kind of thing. You know, and again, and that's again, that's where some people I think feel it's slightly uncomfortable. Also, look, being able to make mistakes, take risks, 
looking forward to meetings. Now, I'm sure everyone listening, um, a lot of people, when you, know, when you get invited to a meeting, if you groan and you think, oh, yeah. I don't want to go to that, and we've all been there. Sure. Well, then actually, why is that the case? And that's usually the case because the meetings are dull because they go, people, there's usually one or two people that go on and on and And you're going to get talked at and you're not going to yeah. have any room for yeah. creativity or any nope, of that stuff. None yeah. of that stuff. And yeah. Yeah, again, I had an example once where I sat in a two-hour meeting. It was had 50 people in the yeah. meeting. It's a big room. Um, we had 30 agenda points. Every agenda point had a massive report connected to it. We got to agenda point six within the space of two hours. Yeah. And most people were on their laptops and not actually listening to what was going on. Now, and again, that's that idea, because you know, if you are having those meetings, again, even the senior managers, I will put this out there, you should not be having a meeting that goes on longer than two hours. Really? Unless you're doing business planning, or it's the end of year, or there's been some massive you know, thing you're going to be launching, two hours is more than enough for a meeting. Um, and I mean, get, people's attention spans, we've, we've talked about this before. We have, I yeah. think uh, there's something around 25, uh, different schools of thought, but five it's minutes. About, is it five minutes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I suppose if you're not involved in that, if you're just there to actively listen, yeah. that's knackering, isn't it? Exactly. So, yeah, and I think, you know, and this is again looking at that sort of stuff. Um, also as well, looking at facing conflict. Now, you don't necessarily want to be having an organisation where people are being disrespectful to each other. No. Certainly not being abusive, but you certainly want an organisation with different points, of, different points of view. Sure. I'm always very unsettled whenever I go into, say for example, in a team meeting and everyone just agrees with everything that's being said. Because I'm not quite sure if I believe that, but even if they am, actually, if you all think the same way, that's not good for an organisation. Right, you have to have different points of view. Yeah. Um, you do have to have a leadership to actually push things forward, but actually, that different points of view makes sure you get to a better place, really. I mean, there are lots of ways that, you know, I think I'm very good around volunteer management and training, but when I've had steering grips and somebody's directly challenged me on a piece of work, then, and the thinking as well that I might not have thought about before, sure that can be just really useful. And again, it's people being comfortable in that. And what I found, the big thing I've noticed in the organisation at the moment, is that around senior manager, senior management, I should say, there's a, a very big reluctance, to be honest. Um, and actually, when I, when I have been honest to senior managers, that's when sometimes I've got into trouble. Because again, you're not allowed to conflict with anything that's being said. Now, I will always challenge, and I think a healthy way, but if that's the kind of culture that you have in an organisation, why is that? And actually, is that moving then into the blame culture that we send everything up to the directors? If they don't make their decision, well, nothing happens. It's yeah. just, you know, being aware of that and actually that it's quite healthy. You know, you don't, if you come out of a meeting and actually there's been some healthy discussion, but as long as at the end of that meeting you then find a way forward. Because sure. I think, again, that talking shop, it can be very easy to fall into that trap because people will then just start being abusive to each other and say, well, why hasn't this not been done in the last three or four months? They talk about that for half an hour and then the meeting's over. It's a very interesting point, though, because uh, we spoke to a, uh, a chap over in the States, Greg oh, Warner, oh, uh, about leadership and how that versus uh, bad boss. And one of the things that he picked up on is pretty similar to what you're saying, mm. I think, about this it's this kind of uh, atmosphere of fear mm. and if you take when you get fear out of the workplace yeah. then people will be more innovative yep. and more engaged yep. and more forward thinking progressive mm. all that stuff yeah. that seems to be what um, you're saying as well yeah and it's again you have to be comfortable around that situation a lot of times people like to have 
again, the same results. If you do what you've always done, you get what you've always got. Sure. I just think always a great um, thing around that. But also as well, when you're allowing people to do that, you're developing commitment again. And that's another point uh, around his like, five dysfunctions, he calls it, um, is actually if you're developing that commitment because you're utilising the skills and the stuff that you have, you're asking their opinion, you're actually allowing them to kind of carry on with their piece of work. Um, you know, again, I saw a study recently, I can't remember what the organisation was, but basically they offered, when somebody arrived, I think around £2,000. So if they wanted to leave within the first two to ten days, they were given £2,000 and they could leave. Now, what those studies had shown that in this organisation, nobody left within that first two week period. Really? Yeah. So you get like a payoff to leave. You could if you, you could to. Yeah. But then That's um interesting. and again that would be again charities of course. You can't have those kind of The Daily you, Mail would hate that. Oh I know, <laughs> of course, of course. And understanding so but you can look at those other pieces as well about how you imbibing those commitments because yeah. if you're not focusing on a results driven culture then mm. actually and again I've seen a lot of studies around this, people will leave the sector. You right. know, they will go now. There are CSR managers. There are you know, corporates have a big understanding about corporate ideal, um, community ideals, and actually, people will move into those environments because actually, if you're not focusing on engaging them and getting their commitment going forward, and actually, once you have that, people could stay a lot longer as well. Right. You know, we talked about this before. Usually, people stay in one organisation is around two years at the moment in the mm -hmm. sector. Now that's pretty low, and actually, yeah. we do want to maybe look at some people staying a bit longer than that. And is that because cultures just aren't evolving quickly enough? Or, yeah, and I think I mean, there's things like remote working yeah, and, and, and flexibility in working, and that seems to be very prevalent in uh, certain industries, but maybe not as prevalent. I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I don't no, have stats to no, that, no, but. neither have I. But it's a very valid point because I've probably worked in about one or two organisations that have home working. Mm. A lot of charities um, and public sector organisations are anti-vehemently opposed to it. Right. Partly because people are actually, most of the time, are front-facing and they couldn't be working at home. But also, again, it goes back to that trust thing I was just talking yeah, about. People yeah, don't yeah. feel, tr if they can't physically see them, we're still going in that sort of industrial revolution idea that you clock in and clock out at the end mm. of each day. Um, again, but if you allow people to do that, it does show sick rates, um, and, you know, people unsatisfied in the surveys and things like that. It dramatically increases going forward. So, yeah. um, oh, so sick rates go down yes. if people are working. Yeah, them. very much so. It's just okay. so, um, because again, not many people pulling a sickie, but if you think about stress, mental health, yeah, of course. all those different areas. Even, even just you've got a cold and then you have to go on public transport yeah. and it makes it worse. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Totally. Um, point four around this as well is around um, creating an area of accountability. Now again, and I want to be very careful with this wording because it's not about a blame culture. We're, accountability is not to say, okay, well Sam, you didn't deliver on this, now you're fired. It's basically about that we all feel comfortable about addressing problem areas, not only on our own team, but also others as well. Sure. And again, that isn't necessarily a direct confrontation. That is just saying, I've had this many times, when actually, right, you promised you said you delivered that to me next last week. Mm. What's happening? Um, now that's not for somebody to get defensive over, it's just for the other team to say, okay, this is what's happening. Sure, or sure. even before that point, being you're being open enough to say, actually, I'm not sure we're gonna make this deadline, what can we do to achieve this, mm. and move forward. A lot of times people will just, just 
we'll just leave it. And actually, that again makes people fit. There's resentments, bitterness, anger. And again, you want to move out of that culture of politics. It's not, you know, HR do this better, or fundraising do this better, or I'm better than the other person. It's actually about, this is what I need, this is what I said I'm going to deliver to you. And actually, it's a reciprocal relationship, basically. And actually, that keeps us on our toes. And I think, um, certainly from my perspective... And interested and engaged. Yes, exactly. Because actually... You know, as long as, you, again, we're not being micromanaged to somebody asking you daily what's going on. But if somebody's asking me actually what's going on with that piece of work, it shows to me that actually they're interested in it. They're yeah. invested in it. Um, and again, you can ask it, and especially if things are becoming rather late, you know. I've had it situations where I've had to go up to the director level because the manager or the head of business is just not replying. Because again, separate teams. So, they, so the manager won't manage their, men, no. their team members efficiently. No. No, and again, in and that doesn't do justice to either party, does it? Because then, no. as you say, you build resentment in anyone else working with that person. But in that person, it's not doing them any favours because eventually they're going to come a cropper, yes. aren't they? They're going to get yelled at by yeah. somebody, or they're going to get fired. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And again, and you know, and this is you know really just that focusing on accountability, um, you know, and challenging when work is not delivered, and actually a learning from it because this is what it's all about. Mistakes will happen. We talk about this all the time, actually. Yeah. That you know things are going to crop up that don't always work out. And actually, if we can just learn from that going forward. And then the fifth one is um, again similar to accountability. It's focusing on your results. So actually, again, you know, if you've achieved something, I've seen this a lot in fundraising teams. I love it that they'll have a bell in the office. Oh, yeah. You've seen this. Yeah, yeah. And so obviously, when they get a major donor through, they'll ring that bell, and actually, yeah. everyone knows about it. And I think. That's such a great tool. It shares the excitement, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Um, I don't see it in any other team other than fundraising now. I really would think it'd be great. If we yeah. even with HR, yeah. I've written that policy today. I know HR would be uncomfortable doing that, but <laughs> yeah. why not? Do you know what I mean, so focusing sure. on the results, showcasing again what you've achieved and what you're being delivered on. Right. You know, again, I. I mean, so, everyone's got targets, haven't they? Totally. So HR can hit their target, whatever yes. that is, reducing sickness rates, yeah. whatever. Which recruitment, retention, the yeah. yeah. Um, even around like learning development, anything it could be. Um, also as well that actually again that learning exercise about minimizing as well individualistic behavior. Sure. So it's not necessarily about that director and what they want to do for their career. This is about the one organization and what we can achieve going forward. Um, and yeah, and I think again like, I really would recommend that get that book. Maybe we can put it um, a link to we'll that. Put a link on the website. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing the hard sell. I've never um, I've never <laughs> met the man. You're not getting any money for this. No, but it's a really good book because it talks about this woman and um, it's like a fictional story about a woman going to a new company. And actually, she doesn't necessarily know a great deal about the company, but it's about building up these five areas of like these dysfunctions within the team and how they can work better. And to me, seeing it in that kind of practical way of them talking to each other, I just found quite useful. So that sounds really useful. Mm. Um, so and so wrapping up, I suppose again, it's not easy, but I think it's again, it's keeping it clear, um, keeping it achievable, yeah. and then also just making sure that you report on it as well around culture change. Um, and that this will always adapt. You know, yeah. our conversation, I hope now, you know, in five, ten years... It'll actually, be out of date. Very hopefully. much so, hopefully, yeah. yes. Um, and actually, there'll be new ways of looking at these things going forward. Fantastic. James Atkins, thank you for once again contributing to Charity Chat. Yeah, thank you for having me. So there we go, dear listener. Big thank you to James Atkins there for uh, once again joining us and talking to us on Charity Chat. I found that really interesting, and I hope you did too. There are a number of things that James touched on, 
including collective intelligence and how vital this can be in terms of uh, innovation and indeed culture change. Uh, we also talked about charities getting into their stretch zone. We've talked about that before regarding uh, individuals and, uh, and it seems to make sense that organisations should as well be getting into their stretch zone rather than the uh, comfort zone or um, I suppose the, uh, the stress zone um, and, uh, and letting this stretch zone uh, spur them on to better things. Uh, James also referred to the book by Patrick now, I might say this incorrectly, but Lencioni, L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, written back in 2002. And uh, having had a look at a little bit of that, it's a very good uh, good text to read if you're looking at cultural change, or indeed management of teams. It's very interesting. So, big thank you to James Atkins. Big thank you to you, dear listener. Without you, there would be no reason for us to be. So, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'd love to hear from you. Either way, it's uh, good to get constructive feedback as well as uh, positive appraisal of what we do. And, uh, and equally, if you've got any interesting uh, podcast episode ideas or people you'd like us to speak to, do let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address, info at charitychat.org.uk, or you can look at our website. We've got a uh, feedback form on there, which is uh, charitychat.org.uk. We're on all the social media platforms as well. Not all of them, but Twitter. Uh, Instagram, and uh, also YouTube and Facebook. So uh, do find us on there. And um, yes, thanks again for listening. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lamp, sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for the beautiful free website design. Thank you, Magda, uh, which you can see on charitychat.org.uk. RIR Photography for the lovely pro bono images that have been supplied for our lovely website. Thank you again, RIR Photography. And of course... Forest of Fools who've been playing throughout the show and are playing us out right now. That's it from us. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye bye.